when we were singing that, that last song, Good, Good Father, um, I was thinking about the line, uh, you're good, you're good, and I'm loved by you. I don't know what your week was like this past week, where you were at, what good things you did, what bad things you did, but I know on Sunday morning sometimes when I come in, I feel like I'm not the dad that I wanted to be the last week, I'm not the husband that I wanted to be in the last week, and it's just a really good reminder to declare that. It's like no matter where you are, what you did, what you said, what you thought, we're still loved by God because of what Christ has done for us. And so this morning as we look at what it means to live honestly, what it means not to lie, um, I want you all to know that no matter what kind of week you had, you are loved by your Heavenly Father, you are cherished, you are cared for because of what Christ has done for you. And I want this place to be, and hopefully it is a place, and will continue to be a place to be, where you feel like you can come and you can be open and honest about your struggles, about your failings. The worst thing that you could do is lie and pretend like you had it all together. Because that's not reality. That's not my reality. I know I look like I got it together, right? My kids, my family, we, on Sunday morning, we look like we got it together for the most part. Unless you came and helped us get ready for church on Sunday morning, then you realize that we didn't. So we want to live in reality. We don't want to live in perception because God can't help us if we live a life of fraud, if we live in perception. God lives in reality. And no matter how broken your reality is, no matter how broken your reality is, you want to live in the truth because that's where God dwells and that's where he has the power and ability to help us. And so I realized the last couple weeks have been kind of difficult messages. We talked about sex, we talked about money, which are, are kind of soft spots for all of us, right? And <clears throat> this morning you might be thinking, okay, don't lie, that's going to be a little easier. And sadly, it's not. The truth is kind of hard to hear and I'm not going to bear any punches this morning, but it's, it's, it's going to be spoken in love and in a hopes that all of us will feel comfortable and welcome into the truth because that's where real healing, that's where real redemption is found. So with that in mind, we're moving to Exodus 20, verse 16. Exodus 20, verse 16 says this, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Don't give false testimony against your neighbor. In the past few messages we looked at, what's been forbidden, why it's been forbidden, and then how we're supposed to obey. And that's one way to look at the commandments. But I read something this week that I thought was really helpful, a guy named Ray Ortland. He's a pastor down in the South somewhere. He said that you can look at every commandment and you can see a revelation, a conf confrontation or confrontation, an instruction, and a promise. And so I thought that was really helpful as you go back and you study some of the commandments. Look for what does this reveal to us about who God is, about his nature? What's being confronted in this particular commandment? What's the instruction that we could take from this? And then what's the promise? The promise that God gives us to help us live that out. So that's kind of how we're going to go through this one today. So firstly, what about God is revealed by the ninth commandment? You shall not lie. What does this tell us about who God is? It's pretty simple, I think. It's pretty simple. God is truth. He's the God of truth, and he's the God that's also over truth. This means that at God's very essence, who he is, what makes him up, is true. This is kind of mind-boggling. It gets a little philosophical, but you can think of it like this. What it means is that reality that's how things really are. When you look at the world, the scientific facts, how math and physics works, objective 
truth, what, what's good, what's bad, reality. The way things that are supposed to be in this world are that way because God has declared it and made it so. As John MacArthur put it, he said, God is the author, the source, the determiner, the arbiter, the governor, the ultimate standard, and the final judge of all truth. So what he says is true, what he says goes, what, you, what he says you can take to the bank. When God talks about himself in the Old and New Testament, he declares himself to be the God of truth. And then when Jesus comes, it says the words made flesh, he comes and puts flesh on. He says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. That means that what God says is true. When he speaks, he speaks only the truth. To put it another way, as Hebrews uh, 6.18 and Titus 2 says, you can write that down and double check that I'm not making it up. Hebrews 6.18, Titus 1.2 says that God is incapable of lying. He can't tell a lie. It's impossible for God to lie. That means if God says it, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you can know that it is true. It's not sentimentality. It's not opinion. It's true, 100%. Accurate, reliable, fact. It's reality. It's reality. So what is revealed by this commandment? Well, it's, it's revealed that God is true. He is true in his very essence and that he hates lying. He hates it. Lying is contrary to his nature. It's offensive to who he is. Look at a couple of these verses with me. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. It says God hates those things. Proverbs 12:22 says this, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. He hates it. And then in Revelation 21:8, it's kind of a long list here, but it says that liars liars will be sent to the lake of burning sulfur, the lake of the fire, eternal destruction. So what's revealed about God through this commandment? Well, simply God is true, 100% true. He loves the truth. He only speaks the truth. And to God, lying is no laughing matter. Which brings us to the confrontation of this commandment. Who or what is being confronted here by commandment number nine? Well, liars. Liars. Those who shade, spin, or sell out the truth in either word or in deed, how, how they live. Satan, we're told in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, we're told that Satan is the chief liar. Um, in John eight forty four, it says this, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Think about this for a second. It says that the native language of Satan is lie. Most of us probably only speak one language. I don't know how many languages they speak in past. Probably four, three to four. Yeah, they're way better than us in that department. <laughs> Most of us just speak English, right? So you only know how to speak in English. We're told from scripture that when Satan speaks, his native tongue is lie. That's the only thing that he knows how to speak is lie. 
So this commandment is a direct confrontation on Satan, on his nature, on who he is. And sadly, because our first parents chose to believe a liar over the author of truth, because Adam and Eve chose to believe that it was far better to follow their own hearts rather than trust God's word, now all of us, too, are born liars. We are all born with hearts that are deceived. We're all born with a bent to believe lies rather than truth. We aren't born as good people as our culture would tell us. We're born liars. Now, this should be obvious to us. If you spend any amount of time with children, it should be obvious. But it's not always. We assume, yeah, they're, we're mostly good, right? But that's not what Scripture says. We don't have to teach children to tell lies. We don't. My two-year-old is having a really difficult time with this right now. His mom will say one thing, and then he'll say, well, yeah, but Daddy told me that I could do this. And I, I overheard him the other day. It's like, I didn't, you didn't even ask me that question. Like, we never even talked about this, right? So we discipline them. We have to train our children not to tell lies because they're born with a bent to tell lies. It's how we're all born. We're born with a bent to shade the truth, to tell lies. And so this commandment is a confrontation not only of the devil, but it's confronting who we are naturally, right? We were born this way, to use the cultural thing, and God's not okay with that. He's not okay with that. Because of Satan's first lie and our parents' first sin, our perception of reality got broken. It got broken. And now, as John Piper said, he said, we have desires that we shouldn't have. And the reason that we have them is because we're deceived about what is truly desirable. Look at Ephesians 4 with me for a second. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So here we learn that our old self, that's the, the part of us that's not in Christ. We haven't accepted Christ yet maybe or it's the old self. It's our flesh. It's, it has corrupted desires, this passage tells us. We want what we should not want. We're deceived about what is truly desirable in this life. And because of those corrupted desires, because we have bad hearts, because we have bad wanters, right? We want what we shouldn't want. We believe lies that aren't true. Because of that, we're all tempted and we fall prey to telling lies, to living out false realities. You see, we believe that it's better to have man's approval and a good reputation than to tell the truth and to live for God. This is a lie from Satan. And it's a corrupted, it's a lie that our corrupted selves craves. We desire man's approval. We want positions of power. We greedily cave or crave popularity and fame more than we desire God's approval. And then once we get it, we have this fear of losing it. So we tell lies. We tell lies to get it. We tell lies to keep it. We exaggerate stories, maybe, to make ourselves sound better. We gossip about our neighbor put, to put him down to make ourselves look better. We slant and shade the truth to make ourselves look better and make others look worse. We sometimes omit facts when we're telling stories to cast ourselves in a better light. 
all because we believe the lie that man's approval is better than God's. So we lie to get it. And once we have it, we fear losing face. We fear having shame brought down on us. And so we lie to keep it. But that's not all we fear. We fear death. We fear death. So we believe Satan's lie again. See, our perception of reality is warped. Our desires are deceived and corrupted, as Ephesians 4 tells us. It's the way we're born. We believe that it's more desirable to be safe than to tell the truth. Now, some of you might be thinking, is that really that wrong? Is that really that wrong? Is it wrong to tell a lie to protect myself or to protect someone else? You might even quote some scripture at me, right? There are some cases in the Bible where God-fearing, faith-filled believers tell lies to protect themselves or to protect others. The midwives in Egypt, ancient Egypt, they tell lies to Pharaoh about the Hebrew babies that are born because they don't want to commit genocidal acts on a whole nation and kill all the babies. They lied. Rahab, when the, her government comes to her and says, hey, we're looking for these Israelite spies. Where are they? She says, a lie. Well, they left, and they went this way. She sends them on a wild goose chase. You say, see, there are some, some places in Scripture where people do tell lies. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But you will not find lies ever commended or affirmed by God. What does get affirmed about the Hebrew midwives and about Rahab is the fact that they feared God and that they had faith. And that they had faith. So while there might be some very rare possibilities where God-fearing people don't tell the whole truth to prevent wickedness from happening, that is not what God or Christ wants us to focus on. He wants us to be a people of truth, committed to the truth at all costs, no matter what. No matter what. Think of it in these terms. And I apologize for, for this uh, illustration, given all what's going on in the news, but I couldn't think of a better one. It's not that hard to imagine, but imagine a, a gunman or a terrorist comes into a store that you're at and starts lining up people and going down the line and asking you what the truth is. Who is God? Who do you love? Is Jesus Christ the Savior of the world? Do you worship him? Do you love him? And under threat of death, in that situation, would it be better for you to tell a lie and save your life or for you to tell the truth? We know the answer to that question. We know the answer to that question. Tell the truth, no matter what. No matter what. You can read a, uh, go pick up a copy of uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Tons of stories of believers over the years persecuted for their faith, burned at the stake, who refused to deny who their Savior was. It's chilling, but it's also inspiring because of the grace that God gives to people in those moments. It freaked people out. People burning at the stake, singing hymns to the Lord. Apart from God's grace, that doesn't happen, Right? That doesn't happen. I believe that God will give you the grace you need in that moment to stand up under that pressure. But it freaked the, the people that were committing these acts. It terrified them because these Christians didn't have a fear of death. They said, what's wrong with them? Right? It left a lasting impression. In fact, as the Romans were trying to snuff out faith and killing perse or persecuting Christians and killing them, the faith grew because as people watch these people stand up and have no fear of death, and not just that, praise God in the midst of suffering, they saw the hope. They saw the strength 
they saw the reality that God's not dead. He's alive and well, and he's sustaining these people, right? So God used it as a testimony. So although there might be some situations where people tell a lie to prevent wickedness from happening, by and large, God says, stand up for the truth. Speak the truth. Don't value your life in this world more than your life in the next. More than your life in the next. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. That means we've got to love Jesus, who is the truth, and pursue the truth above all else. Now, this isn't the only way our desires are deceived. There are some fears that we have that lead us to live lies and, and to tell untruths. But greed also causes us to do this as well. You see, we desire money and all that it can buy. We're deceived. We believe that it's better to keep than to give. But Jesus says that's not reality. Jesus says the reality is it's better to give than to receive, right? It's better to give than to receive. But our desires are warped, and we believe Satan's lies, and so we hoard our possessions. We cheat on our taxes. We lie on our time cards. We're stingy. We steal. We don't trust God to provide for our needs. We fear of not having enough, and so we lie to protect what's ours. And along with that, Satan and the world would tell us, and they do tell us, that the pleasures of sin are far more pleasurable than knowing Christ. And because of that old self in Ephesians 4, it's corrupted, we sometimes believe that lie. Because of this, many Christians live, live double lives. Live double lives. They come to church on Sunday, and they pretend to be one way here, or in their small group, and then they go out and they live a completely different way with people who are far from God. And we do this because we crave immediate pleasure of the world and sin more than the persevering pleasures of God. And so, we tell lies. We live a life of lies sometimes. And that last lie, this last one in particular, is really, really dangerous. It's really dangerous. Claiming to be a Christian, come into church, consistently, faithfully, and being confronted with the truth, listening to the truth, and then leaving and doing nothing with it is so dangerous. It's so dangerous. If this is you, know that what is happening to your, con you are searing your conscience. You are making it harder and harder and harder for the Holy Spirit to do work in your heart because you're allowing your heart to be hardened. Because you hear the teaching of God, you hear the gospel, but then you never do anything with it. You never do anything with it. This is a really scary place to be in. Your heart is being hardened to the truth. Every Sunday, if you come and then leave with no desire to put what you've heard into practice. I'm not saying you do it on your own. You do it by the Spirit's power. But if you don't even have any desire by the Spirit's power to do that, that's a scary spot to be in. And if you persist in living a double life, not only will you be miserable, you will be miserable. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. I love this. He said, a half-committed Christian is the most miserable person on earth. Why? Because he's got just enough of God to be miserable in the world. You're constantly living under conviction. You've got a huge burden on your shoulders. You have just enough of God to be miserable in the world and in sin, and just enough of the world to be miserable in the presence of God, okay? So if you're living a double life, you're going to be miserable. But not only that, not only that, 
you will forever be enslaved and broken, incapable of finding freedom and healing. I'm going to talk on that in, in a minute, but I want to summarize a little bit briefly where we've been. God is a God of truth who hates lies, and sadly, because of Satan's deceptions and Adam and Eve's original sin, we are born liars with warped perceptions of reality and deceitful desires in our hearts. So that's what this commandment is confronting. It's kind of hard to hear. I know that, but we'll, we'll get to the, the good part, okay? We'll keep moving here. Which brings us to the instruction of this commandment. What are the old hymn is super helpful here. You probably remember it. Trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Jesus says in John 8, verses 31 through 32, he says this, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, if we want to be able to see the truth and to experience the freedom of the truth, then we need to hold to Christ's teachings by faith. Empowered by his spirit, we seek to put his teachings into practice. Colin Smith said it like this. He says, when in faith you take a step of obedience, Jesus promises that two things will happen. First, you will know the truth. What seemed cloudy and distant, what seemed cliche, will become clear and personal. It will take on a new meaning in your life. It will be in you, and it will be true for you. And secondly, the truth will set you free. Things that bound you up will no longer bind you. Things that you could not do before will become possible for you. That means that professing to believe is really of little value if your believing is not translated into obeying. Taking a step of obedience will put you on a path to seeing the truth and experiencing freedom, walking in that truth. So this commandment instructs us to believe God's word and seek his help to obey it. It also instructs us to live in the light. That means that we need to live honestly. It means that confessing lies and acknowledging where our perceptions are not reality. It means being honest with one another and with ourselves before God about what is true around us. As J.D. Greer put it like this, he said, lying keeps us in bondage. Lying prevents us from being able to experience the healing of God. See, God dwells in the realm of reality. He dwells in the realm of reality. He's not, or he is able to bring healing in the midst of your reality, no matter how broken it is. That's what I said at the beginning. It doesn't matter how broken you feel, how broken your family relationships are, how much sin you have in your life. It doesn't matter what your reality is. If you come into reality, if you are honest and open and vulnerable before God, he can fix whatever problem you have. But if you keep living a lie, if you keep living a double life, if you keep pretending like everything's okay when it's not, God can't fix you, not because he doesn't want to, but because he doesn't live there. He doesn't live in perception. He lives in reality. And so this text instructs us for our good, God says, come into the light. Come into the light. Live honestly. Live with integrity. Be open with me, and I will heal you. But if you keep living in the shadows, I can't help you there, because I don't live there. So we got to seek 
the God of truth, and we seek by his help to live out the truth and be honest when we fail. We need to do what Ephesians 4, 21 and 25 says. Put off the old man, the old man with its construct or corrupted desires, and put on the new man. Put on the new man in Christ. Putting off falsehood, speaking the truth in love to our neighbor. Now this is where the promise of the gospel comes in. The promise of this commandment is so important here. You will never come into the light, you will never come into the truth if you don't trust God or if you fear punishment, if you fear being put to shame. That's why we all hide in our sin. We know it's wrong, most of us, and so we don't want to come out with it because of the fear of punishment, the fear of consequences, and the fear of shame. This is why I have such a hard time trying to get my kids to tell the truth. They know that we discipline for dishonesty, disobedience, and disrespect. Those three things, right? Classic pastor, three Ds. That's what we discipline our kids for. One of them is, is not telling the truth. So when I know they did something wrong, and they know they did something wrong, I ask them about it. I try and get them to bring it into the light. And they are fearful of doing so because they know there's going to be some type of discipline or consequence. It's really, really hard to get them to tell the truth. But we, we get it to come out usually. In God, he promises that the punishment you and I fear, we don't have to fear when we bring things into the light because Christ has taken it for us. That's amazing. We don't have to fear the wrath of God or the punishment of God when we bring things into the light because Christ says, I've taken that for you. Not only have I taken the punishment, I've taken the shame that your actions, your thoughts, your wicked desires, all the shame that that deserves, I've taken that too. It's a, it's a crazy bargain, right? God says, okay, I'll take the punishment, no spanking. I'll take that. I'll take my wrath and the dishonor and shame that you deserve. I'm going to take that too, and I'm going to give you honor. I'm going to give you rewards for coming into the light. I'm going to heal you. So that's, that's the biggest promise we need to grab hold of is we don't need to be afraid about coming into the light. We don't need to hide in our sin because there's no punishment. There is a punishment, but Christ took it. We don't have to receive that. And we also won't be put to shame because in Christ, we are exalted with Christ. It's an awesome, awesome thing. So although being honest might be hard and scary, the Bible says you don't have to fear being honest. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says it like this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness and healing come through confession, being open and honest about your failings. Along with that, God promises that when we seek him in truth, we'll find him and he will do the work that we cannot do ourselves, right? He will take out our deceived hearts that we talked about, our old stony hearts, and he'll give us new hearts. He'll give us new wanters that want the right thing, that desire the right thing that are empowered to thrive in the reality of life. When we come to Jesus, turning from our deceitful desires and confessing the lies we believed, Jesus promises to forgive us and remake us. He promises that the truth will set you free. He also promises to give you his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, 
says, I'm going to leave you as orphans, John 16. I'm going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you my spirit who will guide you into all truth. You don't have to fear what to say when you get called before people, right? Powerful people. Don't fear. I'll give you my spirit. I'll tell you what to say, how to say it, when to say it, why to say it. I'll guide you into all truth. So we got to learn to lean into that spirit, to trust that spirit, to do as James says, be quick to listen to the person speaking, also to the Holy Spirit, and slow to speak, because we need discernment. We need discernment. And this is really, really important. Really important. There's been a lot of harm that has come from people naively trying to keep the ninth commandment, right? We need the Spirit's discernment to know how not just to speak, but how to speak the truth in love. Look at Ephesians 4 again, verse 29. It says that we are not to let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only speak what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This means that we need to take care not to become truth terrorists, Colin Smith said. I love that. Don't be a truth terrorist. Truth terrorists are those who use the truth to destroy, and they do so in two ways. They do so in two ways. These are people who tell the truth in a way that is naive or in a way that is brutal. See, it would not be helpful for us in any setting to tell the whole truth all of the time. Anything that comes into your head, just speak it. If it's true, if you feel it, this is where my generation, we get, we get it wrong. We think if we feel it, then it's wrong for us not to speak it. I can't tell you how much harm has been done because of young idiots like myself who, in the desire to be truthful and walk with integrity, speak more than we should. We, we use the truth naively. That is not wise. That is not wise. It would not be wise for me to get up every Sunday and air every one of my dirty laundry to all of you in the name of being truthful. That's not helpful, and it's not wise. So that's not what God's calling us to. He doesn't want us to be naive in the way that we use the truth. As Smith recommends, he says, each of us has a responsibility to discern what we should share, with whom we should share it, when we should share it, and why we should share it. So we can't be naive about this. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit because he'll give us discernment on all of these things. We can't be naive with the truth. And also we can't be brutal with the truth. When you come to Jesus, when you accept him as your Lord and Savior, he doesn't dump all of the truth on you. He doesn't tell you every one of the ways that you're sinful, that you've fallen. Why not? Well, one, because he loves you. And two, because you and I could not bear it. It would crush us. That doesn't mean the Lord doesn't tell us the truth. He does tell us the truth, but he tells us the truth in love. He tells us the truth compassionately, patiently. When we're ready to hear it, the Lord is tender with us. And we need to be tender with others when we speak the truth. That's why I love 2 Timothy 2. It says, what is a workman uh, approved by God? What, is, what does God require of a workman that's going to be approved by him? To speak the truth in gentleness and respect in hopes that God will grant repentance. Again, Smith says it like this. We're to speak the truth in a way that will be in the best interest of the hearer. This means there will be times when you have to exercise courage and say something kind of hard. 
That's maybe not even that fun to speak, but out of love and out of the benefit of the ear, you're speaking it to build them up, not tear them down. There'll be times where you need to declare a hard truth for the benefit of someone else, your brother, your sister in Christ. But on the flip side, there will be other times where you need to, con- to conceal, to, to hold back the truth for the benefit and the building up of the person who's not yet ready to hear it. doesn't mean you tell a lie. It just means that out of love, you hold back and you pray and you trust the Spirit to do the work and not your ability to declare the truth in that moment. There's a time both to confront, there's also a time to conceal. And this is why the promises of Christ's Holy Spirit are so vital. He is our guide. He will guide us into all the truth, showing us what to speak, when to speak, how to speak, and why to speak. So, before you speak, pause, pray, and then respond. That's kind of been a mantra that I've learned from Matt Boyers, and I've heard guys in his Bible study say it before. It's super helpful as a Christian. Pause, pray, and then respond. If you can learn to do that, you will be able to handle the truth well. Because it won't be you speaking in that moment. It'll be Christ speaking through you. Pause, pray, respond. We learn to depend on the Holy Spirit in this manner, seeking to speak the truth in love and holding to the teachings of Christ. Not only will you know the truth, but you will experience the freedom of walking in the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being truthful with us. Lord, Each and every one of us is a fraud to a certain degree. We all put on the perception of ourselves that we want everyone else to see. None of us walks completely in integrity. Father, I pray that this community would be a safe place where we could be appropriately honest about our sin, that we could be real about the struggles we have, that none of us would feel the need to hide in shame or guilt, but that this would be a place of your love, a place of your compassion, where we could be open and honest with one another, where we could confess our sins with one another, trusting that you will bring about healing, that you will bring about restoration. And so, Father, I pray for the person, for the Christian, who's been leading a double life, who's been living one way with this group of people in another way with another group of people. Father, I pray that you would give them strength to confess that and that when they do, that they would experience the freedom of walking in your truth. Father, we need your help in this area. I praise you that you've given it to us in Christ. Help us understand more fully how much you love us how good of a father you are to us so that we might come into your presence confidently, knowing no matter what happened the last week, we don't have to lie about it. We can be open and honest with you. You'll take us in, pick us up, brush us off, embrace us, speak the truth to us kindly, gently, compassionately, and in a way that empowers us to live more fully in the joy that you have for us. We love you, Jesus. Help us love you more. In your name we pray, amen.